John 1, 9 through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Every good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, thanks. Thanks for coming and being a part. Uh, welcome those of you who are at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, those of you who are tuning in online, let me ask you to do this. There's a survey that we need you to fill out. It's like five questions. It takes about a minute. Uh, please fill that out. Uh, if you are online, you uh, enjoy the online service as much or more than you actually come here in person. We need you to fill that out so we know how best uh, to serve you. All right? Thanks. All right, for uh, all of us, last week we uh, told you that we were going to respond in some way as, as best we could to the Ukraine crisis. And I want you to know that so far we've been able to send over about $45,000 uh, because of your generosity. So I just wanted to thank you and let you know that we are going to continue to leave that kind of giving portal open for the rest of this month as we try to do whatever we can to relieve the suffering that is going on in the Ukraine. All right? So thanks. All right, we are in this series in the Gospel of John going through the first 18 verses of John. John was one of Jesus' best friends. He was one of the original disciples. He decided to write an account of Jesus. It's a, an amazingly brief account. He is very concise in the way that he talks about Jesus. It takes up uh, 22 pages in my Bible. That's how long the Gospel of John is. I told you a few weeks ago that I was reading a book on Winston Churchill. Uh, this is the book on Winston Churchill. This covers from uh, 1932 to 1940. It doesn't even cover the World War II uh, like years, which I didn't know when I started the book, so I'm not going to finish it, just so you know. <laughs> right. Winston Churchill, okay, and this is Jesus. Now, the reason John did that is so that Jesus would be accessible to anyone, accessible to everyone. It takes about an hour to read this, this whole thing. And this is what I want you to do. Uh, sometime during this series, I want you to skip a TV show, and I want you to read the whole gospel. Take an hour. If you've read it a hundred times, you will fall more deeply in love with it. If you've never read it before, it will just be a wonderful experience. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of ours. It's our gift to you. But sometime during this series, go ahead and read the whole gospel of John. All right, so... We've been just covering the first eight verses in these four weeks. You know, John started out in just a spectacular way, breathtaking way, in talking about Jesus. He used a euphemism. He used the word, or the word as Jesus. Uh, it's the Greek word logos. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness 
has not overcome it. Holy cow. Right? John says the logos, the logic, the rationale, the purpose behind everything, the light and the life that we all long for has come, and his name is Jesus. That's where he starts out. Then last week, John talks about John the Baptist. So Zach did a great job with that. Now John, with his original readers, needed to explain to them that John the Baptist was all about Jesus. And that brings us to verses 9 through 11, which is what we're going to cover this morning. And in verses 9 through 11, John begins to answer the why question. Why Jesus? Why with the logos, the one who created all things, the light and the life, why would he come? I love uh, questions. Uh, one of my favorite things about my job is when I get to sit across from somebody and, and just ask them questions about their life till I find, finally get to know kind of who they are. Uh, when I, I wanted to get to know my wife on her very first date, you know, I, she was really intriguing to me. And I didn't want to go to a movie where we'd sit side by side and watch a movie. I wanted to get to know her. So I went to her dorm, and when I, we started to walk, my very first question to my wife was, tell me two things you like about yourself and one thing you don't like. And what I was trying to get her to do was to reveal to me some of who she was and also just a little bit of who she wanted to be. And by the time she finished answering those questions, I was already starting to fall in love with her. Right? Questions are good. Let me give you a couple of questions that you can ask somebody if you want to get into a really good conversation. First question, ask them, what do you wish the world was like? What do you wish the world was like? And after they answer that question, your next question could be, what do you think has gone wrong? What's wrong with the world? And then once they answer that question, you can say, is there any way to fix it, you think? And then finally, what does a fixed world look like? Right? If, so, if I can get the answers to those four questions, I can get somebody's worldview. And that's the prism through which they see everything, whether they realize it or not. Those four questions are what the whole Bible is about. Right? What we wish the world was like, that's creation. What's gone wrong with the world, that's what we call the fall. What can fix the world? That's redemption. And then what does a fixed world look like? That's restoration. Today, we're going to begin to look at that second question, what's wrong with the world? And this is what John says, verses 9 through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Okay, here are my three points. They're questions, right? One is, what's wrong? How bad is it? And can anything help? What's wrong? How bad is it? And can anything help? First, what's wrong? You know, it's, it's obvious that something's wrong with our world. We can see macro things like the Ukraine and Russia and how that is going to cause so much suffering, not just in those two countries, but it's reverberating to all the countries around and even across the world. 
So there's macro things that are wrong, but there are also all these micro things, things that happen in our own lives, in your life, with you in your job or at home or in relationships or just within yourself, right? We know that something's wrong. Now, what the Bible's saying, what these verses are saying is that what's wrong is relational. Verses 9 and 10, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's relational language. That's what I mean. A lot of times it's easy to look at what's gone wrong in the world and think it's because people are doing bad things, right? People lie, they cheat, they steal, they hurt other people. Inside these walls, we have a word for that. We call that sin. We think the problem with the world is that people are sinning. But the Bible says it's something deeper than that. That there's a sin beneath the sins, and the sin beneath the sin is relational. The problem with every human being is that we have switched places with God. Let me go back to Genesis. In Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve, he creates all that is, right? He creates this amazing garden, right, with hundreds, maybe thousands of fruit trees, with delicious, wonderful, beautiful, ripe fruit on all these trees. And God says to Adam and Eve, I made this for you. Enjoy everything. Eat as much as you want. And then God takes one tree and he puts it in the middle of the garden and he says, but this is my tree. This is my tree. Don't eat from my tree. One rule. Isn't that the kind of world you would long for? Just one rule? Like, he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't tell Adam and Eve, listen, don't lie, don't, don't cheat, don't steal, treat each other nice. He just says, there's just one rule in this world, just one. You know, I always think, at my house, when my grandkids come over, I make rules on the fly, <laughs> right? They come over, I make, hey, hey, put your sho- take off your shoes. All right, don't, don't run. Hey, stop. Don't have food out. Keep food in here. No grape jelly. Put a lid on that. I mean, I got... Don't throw balls. That's not a ball. I know it's a Frisbee. Don't throw Frisbees, right? (laughs) Making rules all the time. God makes one rule. He says, I have a tree. It's my tree. All the other fruit. Eat anything you want. Eat as much as you want. Why would Adam and Eve go to God's tree? What were they doing? Switching places. Like if... If, I, uh, if my grandkids come over, I'll stay with them. And I have this, uh, we, we, this is our real jar from home. This is full of candy, right? And I say to them, listen, this is your candy. Eat as much as you want. <laughs> Their parents would go, no, right? Eat as much, you can have whatever you want. And then I say this. But this is Papa Joe's candy. This Twix is mine. Don't eat that. And let's say my granddaughter, Chloe, walks over, looks at me, looks at the Twix, picks it up, looks at me, opens it up, and goes, (laughs) Twix is a bad choice. 
What was she doing? Oh, she's not just disobeying. She's giving me a message. She's saying, oh, Papa Joe, you think you're in charge. <laughs> she's doing this. I'm in charge, right? That Twix would be the last thing she ever ate. But you know, you want to know what's wrong with our world is what the Bible says is that we have all switched relationships with God. Now, this is where it gets interesting. There are two ways to switch your relationship with, with God. One is to do everything wrong. The other is to do everything right. This is what I mean. Okay, if you, if you do everything wrong, that's the obvious way to switch relationships with God. The way you say to God, listen, I know what you want but I'm going to do what I want. I know what you say about sexuality, but I'm going, to, I'm going to do sex the way I want to do sex. I know what you say about money, but I'm going to spend my money the way I spend. I know what you say about relationships, but I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I know what you want, but I'm going to do what I want. That's the obvious way. But there's another way. And the other way is to do everything that you think God wants, but to do it so that you can switch relationships with him. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15. It's one of my favorite stories. He starts the story like this. A man had two sons. And the first son, he is the younger son. The, the first son does the obvious thing. He says to his father, listen, I want your stuff. I don't want you. I'm going to live the way, the way I want to live. And he goes and lives a wild life, right? And the story is, you know, he comes back. But then there's another brother, an older brother. And the older brother has done everything right. But he's really mad by the end of the story. And he's mad at his father. And what he says to his father is, I've done everything right. But you, you haven't done what I want you to do. What the older brother was saying is, I've done everything that I was supposed to do so that you would be, so that I would be in charge and you would do what I want you to do. Listen, if you're here, and you are, have switched relationships with God. And you are doing it in the obvious way. You know who you are. And you know what you're doing. Now, you know, this is what God wants, but this is what I want. This is what I'm doing. But if you're here and you're trying to do everything right, the only way that you know that you are still have a switched relationship with God is that you get frustrated with God sometimes. You get angry with God because of the way your life has gone or the way your life has not gone. Listen, the Bible says the thing that's wrong with the world is relational at its core. There's a sin beneath all the sins. There's an obvious way to switch relationship with God. And there's a subtle way, but both are deadly. Both are deadly. That's what's wrong. Now, the second question is, how bad is it? The short answer is pretty bad. Right? This is what it says in verse 10 and 11. He was not in the world, or he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That sounds redundant. That it sounds like John's saying the same thing in two different ways. He's not. He's talking about two separate groups of people. He's actually talking about the two sons, like the older son and the younger son. When he says, he came to the world, and the world did not know him, He's talking about people who are far away from God, who are doing their own thing. Then he says he came to his own people and his own people rejected him. 
He's talking about the people who were the Jews who were saying, I'm doing everything that God wants me to do. This is one of the best things about Christianity, by the way. Because Christianity says that every single human being has the same problem. Doesn't matter how it plays itself out in your life. Doesn't matter really how much you sin or how you sin. What the Bible says is that every single one of us has a switched, we start with a switched relationship with God. That's why Paul the Apostle, uh, he's the one who wrote, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That Paul the Apostle was a really, really good man. Like, I don't care how good you are, Paul was better. Right? Paul came to worship all the time. He memorized most of the Old Testament. He prayed multiple times a day. He gave generously. He never lied, never cheated, never stole. He was an amazing man. When he met Jesus, he ended up looking at prostitutes, thieves, murderers, and saying this, there is no difference. No difference between me and them. How could he say that? Because Paul knew that he was guilty of the sin beneath the sins, just like everyone else. The reason I say this is one of the best things about Christianity is that more and more in our world, we bifurcate people. We make it us and them. And we do it, oh, all the time. Republicans do it to Democrats. Liberals do it to conservatives. Racists do it to woke people. Woke people do it to race, racists. I mean, it's, it's all over. It is, <laughs> and it is so hard for any of us not to do that. Right? I, I have trouble not judging people who are judgmental. They drive me crazy. <laughs> right? But this is what I want you to know. Every time you do that, every time you look at somebody else and you think, I'm better than they are, that is a pre-Christian or unchristian way to view the world. That is a pre and if you are a Christian, you need to stop and repent. It's every time you begin to look at somebody. Because if Paul the Apostle was here right now, Paul the Apostle would say, me? Vladimir Putin, no difference. We've both done this with God. So, what's wrong with the world? We have nine billion people who have switched relationship with God. How bad is it? Pretty bad. It's all of us, all right? Now the question is, can anything help? Can anything help? All right, so... This is uh, John chapter 1. In John chapter 3, John introduces a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a really good man, and uh, he comes to Jesus. Uh, he is a lot like Paul, uh, and he wants to learn from Jesus how he can be a better person. Because in Nicodemus' understanding is that he thought that what God wanted from him was for him to be the very best man he could be. So he goes to Jesus to try to get some extra pointers. Jesus says something that rocks him. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says this, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, when I say that word or that phrase born again, you probably have something in your head because we have used that phrase a lot. You might think of a Billy Graham crusade or some other preacher. But when Nicodemus heard it, it had not been used before. And when Nicodemus heard that, what he heard Jesus saying is this, Nicodemus, You've got it all wrong. You need to start over. 
You need to start over. Listen, we're going to get more into this in depth when we get to verse 12. But I need to get into it a little bit right now, just in case it's the only sermon you hear. If you're here at church and you've come to church because deep down you really want to be a better person and you feel like that's what God wants for you, then I need to tell you you're wrong. You need to start over. Because what Jesus is after is something much more radical than that. He doesn't want you to become a little bit better person. He wants to do this with you. He wants to have you switch. Now, there are two ways to switch somebody. Right? One is brute force. <laughs> That's my style. <laughs> like, if that happened with my grandkids, like, if, if really, if, if my granddaughter, Chloe, really did do this to my Twix, and I could see it in her eyes that she wasn't joking, that she was like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm doing this to you, Papa Joe. I would respond with brute force. Right? Because I would say, no, little girl, I'm your grandfather. That's not the way you, I mean, however I would do it, I'd, be, I'd grab her from this position, and I'd push her to this position. And I would say, you don't understand. In my house, I'm in charge. I might have said that a couple times. <laughs> right? The problem with brute force is this. It doesn't lead to joy. When, when, if I were to take Chloe and I were to put her here, it wouldn't lead her to joy or happiness or peace. And the, when you read the scriptures, what Jesus comes and he says, this is what I come to give you. I've, give, I've come to give you abundant life. I've come to give you joy that you, my joy may be in you and your joy may be made Full. How does that happen? All right. I'm going to try something. Leah, could you come here for a second? Just. Thanks. All right. Um, here. I want to give you this. Okay. You open it up. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Take it out. But it's a $100 bill, right? Mm -hmm. For you. Okay? You can do <laughs> but this is the thing. You have to spend it on you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay? You good with that? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Now, now there are a bunch of people out there that want to go to lunch with you like now. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Thanks. That's all. That's all. That's your, that's, that's the, that was the thing. Good. Thank you. <laughs> One of the things that happens, and Leah did a good job of that, uh, when somebody, that's like a single drop of grace. And she didn't come here thinking that she was going to get $100. She didn't do anything for it besides come up when I called her. And what happens is you know, when, when she gets a little bit embarrassed, embarrassment is an outward sign of, of kind of a humility happening, right? Uh, she laughed, right? Because there's something that happens just with a little tiny drop of grace that brings you joy. It makes her want to do something good. Leah goes out of here happier than when she came in. <laughs> and you guys all have to keep quiet. Otherwise, in the third service, everybody's going to be sitting like right here. <laughs> 
That's a single drop of grace. What would it be like for a human being to have grace just be flowing into them? Every day, grace flowing into you. What would that do to you? Right? What kind of joy and gratitude and peace would that provide? You want to know why the Logos came into the world by the logic, the purpose of all things, the one who created everything? The light and the life that you long for came? Grace. Two ways to do this. One is brute force. Oh, I'm so grateful that God didn't use brute force. He could. Instead, he offers grace through Jesus. This is something that, you know, I, I did this the first service with somebody, and uh, they couldn't do it. They, <laughs> they couldn't take it. It was like, no, I'm not taking it, right? And I, I started thinking about myself with God. I don't know if I, if I really feel grace with God. Not the, I always think, I think, and this is just a confession to you. I think sometimes I think, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. And then deep down, I still feel like I'm a pretty good person and I did pretty well. Because real grace is so hard to take. Because it makes you go, but why? Why would you do this for me? What am I supposed to do with this grace? And then it when it finally sinks in, it can flow out. So I want you to do. I want you to just let the grace flow into you and know this, that grace was the only other way besides brute force that God could do this with you and say to you, I am God. And when you receive grace enough, I think then we look at God and we say, whatever you want. Absolutely, I am completely in because you have given me grace and I trust you. All right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I'm so grateful. Uh, it is so uh, contrary to my nature uh, to not use brute force when I feel like uh, somebody has placed themselves over me. But you, in order to switch positions with us, came and gave yourself. You switched, you became sin. You lived in our place, died in our place, so that we might uh, be righteous before God. Thank you. Thanks for all that you've done. I pray that you would make us a people that are full of grace and that live our lives out of that grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.